Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians. I'd like sitting down with a family and I don't get it. Anyway, um, but I, I love, I remember going to that town growing up and we'd always go to grandma's and have turkey and dressing and, and my cousins would be there and my dad and Uncle, Uncle Freddie and they would argue, always argue about the football game uh, because they were big f- football fans and uh, I couldn't understand why my cousin always loved the Cardinals. It just didn't make sense to me. Uh, but I, I, I like Thanksgiving. I like the, the turkey and dressing and all that kind of stuff. And, and football, I really like that. I remember one year I ate my turkey out of a paper bag. 1971, the game of the century. When number one, uh, oh, Nebraska, excuse me, number one Nebraska played number two Oklahoma. And we got beat 31-27. I can still remember I was down the end zone, uh, just right behind the end zone, seeing uh, Jack Miller throw, throw passes and not reaching anybody. But you know, Thanksgiving is more than turkey and, and football. It's a time of giving thanks. It's the time to thank the Lord for His abundant blessings. Several Years ago, I got a, a letter from one of our IMB missionaries who served in, in Central Asia. And she wrote about her friend whose name translated means strong. She said during Strong's 16 short years, he'd been through a lot of difficulties. And so one day she was taking him to his train station and they were talking about it. And, and she pointed out, you know, this, this is a guy who had nothing. He didn't have anything except the clothes on his back and his love for Jesus but he was rich in his love for Jesus. So she said, as she took him to the train station, we talked about what he wanted to do after he got out of school. He said, I am so burdened for my people group because so few of them have heard the gospel. He said, I want to be a preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he quoted to her Luke 12, 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Strong said the father had done so much for him, so he wanted to give back. And and as Americans, our list of blessing would be even greater, much greater, much longer than his. God's blessed us with religious freedom. None of us had to stop and explain where we were going before we came to church this morning. We have access to Bible study. We can study the Word. We, in fact, you can get a Bible, go buy a Bible and tell me what. I went to the pastor's conference last Monday and they gave me a, a Bible, a free Bible. So what are we going to do with our blessings? I think the first step that we need to do is to be thankful for God's blessings. So what are you thankful for? You know, too many times we get discouraged and we're not thankful. We think about, you know, things like the election or, or the economy or our football team. And sorry, Mike, you know. But we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and, and not on those problems. Remember the pilgrims? We kind of think they started the day, but Thanksgiving has been going on a lot longer than that. But you know, they could have spent their time complaining about their terrible conditions that first year. On uh, September 6, 1620, 
The pilgrims left England because of religious persecution. They wanted to come to the new world where they could worship freely. And so a bunch of them who, who had left England to go to Holland and face religious persecution there came back to England and decided to go to the new world. And they, they bought a ship and hired a ship. And they got on the ship and they started to America and one of the ships wasn't seaworthy so they all went back to England. And so some of them have to stay but some of them got to come and they came across the Atlantic. The voyage was cold and damp and for 65 days they were on the Mayflower. Now when Sandy and I were in Plymouth uh, a couple of months ago, I got to go into the Mayflower too, which is a replica of the original Mayflower. And it was not a good place to be. Uh, the pilgrims, because it was a wooden ship, couldn't have a fire. So they ate all their cold food cold. And because of the rough seas, they had to stay down in the hold. It would be like all you and I, all of us here, coming up here and living on the stage for 65 days. Where they ate and slept and took care of all their private stuff. And even a child was born on the trip over. 65 days. And finally they sighted land on November 10th and they went into what is now Plymouth. Got off of that place called Plymouth Rock. We've seen the rock. They were a long ways from where their original destination was. They were headed to Virginia where when they arrived in November it would have been more moderate climate, more temperate but they landed in that late fall, early winter, and the cold and the snow and the damp hampered them as they, they tried to build their houses. And, and we saw some of the houses or replicas of the houses they built, and they're nothing to write home about. Little one-room things that you raise your family in. Many died during that first winter. Several families had to adopt the orphans and bring them into their home. And of the 110 that left England, less than 50 survived the first winter. And yet, that next fall, their governor said, we need to praise God for what he's done. We need to, to thank God. And so he, read, he made a declaration. His name was uh, William Bradford, the, the governor. He said, inasmuch as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest, I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims do gather at ye mating house on excuse me, you meeting house on Thursday, November 29th to listen to you, pastor, and render thanksgiving to you, Almighty God, for all his blessings. And though their celebration included a feast, they began by thanking God. It was a time of worship for God's blessings. Now, as we come to our text here in a minute, Paul began by thanking God for the Corinthian church. Now, if you know much about the Corinthian church, it would be like having a bad winter, okay, when you compare it. Because it was a carnal church. There were a lot of folks that didn't live up to what they should have. Uh, there was, in fact, the church was so bad that when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, Paul said, 
Some of you are hungry because they had a meal beforehand. Some of you are hungry and others are drunk. And Paul wrote to them. And he began his letter by saying, I thank God for you. There's always something we can look at and thank God for. And so in this letter, he gave them seven reasons why he was thankful. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we come to God's Word. So in honor of God's Word, let's stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll begin reading with the third verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in Him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You are called by Him into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your blessings. Thank You, Lord, for the opportunity we have together to celebrate together all the blessings that You've given and poured out upon our lives. Speak to our hearts, Father, through this word. As Pastor Mike said, may we leave changed as we respond to the Spirit of God dealing in us. Father, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Paul wrote to this group of believers there in the city of Corinth. He had founded the church and on a second missionary journey. Uh, and one of the things about them is they were a very religious people, but there were a lot of pagan temples in the city. They were religious, but not Christian. Uh, there, were, there was a lot of immorality, as I've mentioned. Uh, and yet Paul called them saints. Saints is Paul's favorite word for Christians. What's the word saint mean? It means holy, holy ones. Did you know that the church doesn't have to make a proclamation for you to be a saint? Because God's already said that. When you're saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Now, most of us don't go around wearing our title, Saint Keith, but we are saints. It's what God says about you. And he assured this, this carnal church that all who call upon the name of the Lord are blessed. And we need to be thankful. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses there in, in uh, chapter four, uh, excuse me, verse 4 for thank, I thank my God, always thank my God, is the word Eucharist. Anybody ever heard that word, Eucharist? Usually we have that, think about that word in connection with the Lord's Supper. But that word literally means to give thanks for that which we do not deserve. And it was always used of thankfulness to God. I mean, think about it. What did you do today to deserve the sun coming up? What did you do today to make sure that the oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen level in the, in the atmosphere is just exactly like we need so we can breathe it? What did you do to deserve the love of your family and friends and all the blessings God pours down? 
And so Paul said that's why we need to be thankful. In fact, he wrote to the church at, at Thessalonica in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you. The Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the Gospels and the writers of the New Testament to use the word thanks, thanksgiving, and thankful over 150 times. Paul said, I'm always thankful for you. So what is it? What is it that Paul was thankful for? Well, first he says, I'm thankful for God's grace. Look there, verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. What's your passion? Is your desire to see people saved? Is that your passion? Paul's was, and he said the, the greatest joy he had was to see people come to Christ. And so he thanked God for that grace. In his commentary on 1 Corinthians, John MacArthur gives three reasons for, for, uh, for, thank, for God's grace. First, he says God provides salvation in order that those who are saved may produce Good works. God saved you to do good works. Uh, Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word workmanship means masterpiece. When you look at the mirror later today, say, You are God's masterpiece. And God saved you so that He might produce good works through you. And secondly, saving grace means to bring blessing to believers. You're saved to be blessed. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had made for us, made us alive with Christ Jesus, even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God's grace is because he wants to bless you. Thirdly and most importantly, God saves us. God pours his grace out upon us so that he might be glorified. The Bible says anytime the, that someone's saved, the angels in heaven rejoice. And God gets glory. Grace means God's unmerited favor. That's the biblical def definition. An easy way to remember it, God's riches at Christ's expense. We get all the blessings of God, and we don't deserve them. We don't deserve the sacrificial death of His cross. We don't deserve to be a part of God's family. We don't deserve the promise of heaven. But God offers His grace freely. Psalm 144.5.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. John 3.16 says, For God, what? So loved who? The world. Who is that? That word world is, is a, a word, it's, we get our word ethnic from it. It means all the peoples of the world. God so loved all the peoples of the world that He gave His only... Son, His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God's gift is available freely. Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. My granddaughter knows about gifts. Whenever we go into Walmart and she sees something she wants, she says, that's going on my Christmas list. She used to ask us to buy them, and, and her daddy got, got her to where she'd say, well, we'll just put that on your Christmas list. Because she knows at Christmas she's going to get stuff that she doesn't have to pay for. That's the way God's grace is. We didn't have to pay for it. And we don't even have to wait for Christmas to get it because He pours it out all the time. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Yet God freely pours out His grace. Well, secondly, Paul was thankful for God's riches. Verse 5, I thank my God always concerning you that you were enriched in Him in every way in all speech and all knowledge. Oftentimes when we hear that word rich, riches, we think about a big bank account, a lot of money in our pocket, a mansion, a fancy car. In fact, that word enriched in, in the Greek means a, a wealthy person. But when Paul spoke about riches, he wasn't talking about what you carried around in your pocket. He was talking about God's riches, God's gifts. And Paul said that the church is rich with God's gifts. Specifically, he's talked to them about speech and knowledge. Now, Corinth was a town that was known for its orators, orators and its philosophers. Public speaking and worldly wisdom were a source of pride for the city and for some in the church as well. But Paul explained that God's gift is being able to tell the truth about, about our God. And he said, God has gifted the church with gifts so that, that we can speak for Him. And so that we can be able to teach from His Word. And He's given us the wisdom that we can be able to speak. Now we have an advantage the church at Corinth didn't have. This thing, this Word, it wasn't gathered in Paul's day. Oh, they had the Old Testament, the scrolls in the synagogue. You could go up there and read, read the scrolls if, if you could read. But they didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have Paul's letters. So how were they taught? Well, the teacher would come and tell them, and they'd learn it, and they'd pass it on. How many of you can go home and tell somebody else three points that I made or one point that I made from the sermon? See, we don't listen very well. Most of the time, we, we can't say what the preacher preached Ten minutes after he's finished. Now, I'm not saying that's because you need to remember the, the gems that I preach. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we need to pay more attention to what God teaches us so we can pass it on to somebody else. And Paul said the church was gifted there that, that they could be able to speak for God. And God has equipped you to be able to do the same thing. I mean, if you're breathing, check. And you can hear God speak, whether you do it with your audible ear or He speaks in your heart. Then you should be able to speak with others. 
God's enriched you with all the wisdom to be able to speak the Word of God. He's enlightened you with the study of the Word of God. And He's empowered you with the Holy Spirit to be able to go. And Paul said, for that I am thankful. And the next thing he said to the Corinthian church, he says, I'm thankful that God's word of salvation was proven true. Look there in verse 6. I, I thank my God always concerning you, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. In uh, 1985, I was in seminary, and in January I got to travel to Israel where we studied for four weeks. Well, we did the touristy things and and. But most of the time, we were studying, and, and we would learn about a place, and we'd go to the place, and we'd see how, what the place was like and, and be able to relate it back to the Scriptures. One of the places we went uh, was the Church of the Loaves and the Fishes, built on the site where uh, scholars believe that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. It was really interesting that, that while we were there, you could see half a mile away a, a house, and a mother went out and, and spoke to her child, and you could hear it. The acoustics was, were th that well. Now, I couldn't understand because she spoke Hebrew, but anyway, we were there. And while we were there at this Christian site, two buses pulled up full of Jewish children, a school group on an outing. Visiting a Christian side. That puzzled me. I didn't understand that. And as my wife will tell you, I, I could talk to strangers, it doesn't matter who they are. I went up and asked the group, why are you here? And one of the young ladies, who by the way was in the Israeli army and, and carried a machine gun on her back like a backpack, she spoke English and, and her name was Gan. And she came to me and she said, well, we like to visit tourist places. Uh, but she admitted she had a lot of questions about Christianity. And she said, I wrote her question down, she wanted to know if it's true that Christ really made a difference in your life. Well, I could share with her that it was true. And she wanted to know if I believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I told her yes. And told her I would pray that she would find her Messiah as well. The other incident took place in Brazil back in, uh, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but we were working with a group of volunteers from First Baptist Church Augusta. They were teenagers. Church had sent their youth group, about what, 60 of them, Sandy? About 60 kids, teenagers, to Brazil to help us in our work. And we had gone out to a city called Monteiro. Monteiro was about 200 miles from the capital. It was a long ways away from, from, from anything that looked like a modern city. Um, and we had gone to the, to the public park in the evening uh, after the, the worship service was over. And, and students were getting out of class. And most of them were, were their age or older. But they had gone to work during the day, gone to school at night. And so they were there in the, in the, uh, the park as well. And one of our girls, uh, she wanted to share her testimony. And so I translated, and she shared her testimony with, with this couple other girls that she kind of made friends with while they were there, and kind of their, her broken English, or their broken English, and her, her attempt at Portuguese. And, and so as she shared her testimony, she shared about the difference Christ had made in her life and how the blessing it was. 
And the girl said, well, it's easy to say. Which is true, it's easy to say, but it did, did it really? Is there any proof? And that young American girl, that teenager said, yes. Her faith in Christ was real and had made a difference in her. And that's what Paul was thanking the Lord for. That God's word about salvation is more than just words. It's proven to be true over and over in the life of the, the Corinthians because they'd experienced what God had done. Excuse me, my <coughs> I've gotten dry. We can thank God that, that Christianity is not just a religious system. It's not just a set of rules. It talks to us, uh, uh, the Word of God talks to us about what Christ has done in us. And we know as we live for Jesus over and over and over that He's made a difference. It's proven true. Well, next Paul said he was thankful that God had equipped the church in Corinth for ministry. He said, I've give, God's given you all the gifts you need to do the church. And that's true. God has equipped our church to do all the ministries He's called us to do. All that's necessary to reach people for Christ and carry on the ministry. Well, in these last four, we're going to be real quick. Paul was thankful for our hope in Jesus Christ. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, the last part of verse 7 says, I thank my God always concerning you because you are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? They were waiting for Christ's return. Only saved people have a real hope. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, that means it's never going to go away, undefiled, means it's never going to be stained with sin, unfading and kept in heaven for you. And then John writes in his first letter, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Then Paul said he was thankful that Christ's work of salvation has made us unaccusable and unaccused. Verse 8, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you because he will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word strengthen means to be confirmed and signifies that a person's salvation is sure or preserved in a state of grace. Uh, and that word blameless means unaccusable and unaccused. Are we blameless? I mean, when you look at us, are we sinners? Yeah, we're sinners saved by grace. And because of the, the grace of God, because of what God has done in our lives, because of what Jesus has done, we have been made unaccusable and unaccused because we're righteous. Both in Isaiah and in 2 Corinthians is the truth that Jesus came in and took our sins upon himself. 
He took all our bad junk on himself to the cross and he paid for it. And when we received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we got all his good. We got his righteousness. That's why we're unaccusable. Because of what Jesus has done in us. On the cross, one of the things that Jesus cried out is, it is finished. The word finished is the Greek word to die. It's an accounting term. And it's from a day different than ours. If you go into a store today, there won't even be a sign on the wall that says no credit because that's something a long time ago. But when I was a little boy and I'd go into the store, the grocery store, Anglin's store in Cashin, there were those that would buy their groceries and they'd say, well, put it on the tab. And at the end of the month, they go back in and they'd pay their bill. And when they paid the bill, Olaf would get this, this sticker and he'd stamp their bill. Paid in full. That's to tell us die. When Jesus went to the cross, our sin debt has been paid in full. We're unaccusable and unaccused. And Paul said, I'm thankful for that. And then Paul finished up this passage by saying, I'm thankful because God is faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do. That word faithful means trustworthy. In Genesis, we read that because man's sin had gotten so bad that the Lord regretted that he made man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I love the story of Noah. I, I love the, man, the fact that the man was so faithful to God. Out of all the people of the earth, one man was found faithful. One man trusted the Lord. And so God gave him a giant task of building this huge ark, and it's huge. Sandy and I have seen a replica of it, and Mike and, and uh, Vicki have seen it. It's huge. Now, think about it. When Noah went to build that, he didn't go to Lowe's to order his lumber. He didn't go anywhere except to the forest. And in the forest, you can't find two-by-fours. Can you imagine how long it took them to cut down every tree and to shape every tree so that it all fit in that ark just perfectly? And that ark floated, and it didn't leak. It took him a hundred years to build it. Just Noah and his boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then when the time came, God says, okay, bring the animals into the ark. And they all got in there and God shut the door. The rains began to fall 40 days and 40 nights. And the waters came up from the, the ground and flooded the earth. And all that walked on the face of the earth died except those in the ark. Then eventually, the ark landed on Mount Ararat, and the waters receded, and they came out. And God said to Noah, never again will I 
destroy the earth with a flood. And he said, I'm going to put my bow in the sky. And when I see that, I will be reminded of my promise. Well, that's never happened since. Never been a great flood like that that covered the whole earth, that affected the whole earth. God's word is true and trustworthy. And when we see a rainbow, it can remind us of God's promise because he is trustworthy. He is faithful. And that's what Paul said. I am thankful that God is faithful. So, we've got so many reasons to be thankful. Just as you read through the Scriptures, every day you can find things to be thankful for. And technically, Mike's right. Thursday is the day we set aside for Thanksgiving, but most of it's for a lot of people, it's just a sacrifice of a turkey. But every day should be a day of thanksgiving. Oh, Mike, I think we ought to add a third holiday to your list. Easter. Easter. Every day we need to be thankful. Thankful for God's grace, for His mercy, for the way He works in our lives, the way He's gifted us to be able to to, to share His message, the way He's gifted the church to be able to, to minister and do all the things God calls us to do. Thankful that He will always do what He says. One of the things He said is He's coming back. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't know when it's going to be. I know now is, early, is closer than when I got up this morning. I know tomorrow is going to be closer than today. It may be this year, this month, this you know, this, this decade, I don't know when he's coming back. But one day he's coming back, he's going to take us home. And for that, I'm thankful.